Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about milestone leveling versus giving out experience, and how to make traveling long distances interesting. Hello everybody, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. It looks and like we got a great crew. We in do. There. We got a lot of a lot of the usuals, but I love the usuals. You guys are fantastic. You make make this show awesome for me um, to have like your bright, shining faces in chat every week. Uh, it's it means a lot. So thank you guys so much for coming out. Um, this show, for those of you who are new to our YouTube channel, because uh, we're getting uh, we're we're at like 250 subscribers on the YouTube channel. It's doing pretty well. We transitioned. The Saturday morning D&D show over to a new um, YouTube channel that is by itself. So it kind of will stand alone by itself, which is um, a good thing. I think in the end, it's going to be be good to have a, a location that is yeah. just for the show. Um, but if you are not subscribed, head over there and subscribe because it's awesome. Um, we're going to upload games and maybe some other like little side projects that we're doing to that channel. Just things that we don't necessarily want to put on our main channels. We'll kind of throw there and it'll be a fun little little place for all of that stuff. Um, but in the world of D&D news, um, I don't have my thing open, so here we go. Yeah, I was uh, just, I just <laughs> getting mine open while you were doing that. <laughs> in the world of D&D news, um, not a lot happened this weekend. I mean, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes is out. Lots of people are doing reviews on that. So if you are undecided to buy that book, um, you can go check out, like, just search for it. And there's tons of YouTubers doing reviews of that book um or it's and yeah and it's out so go pick it up because i think it's i had a friend that got it um and so i perused it a little bit and i think it, it, i'm gonna buy it obviously it's a book for me but like it's a really good book for dungeon masters so if you are a dungeon master and you're kind of looking for that next level game or maybe you want to start a game at like eight or tenth level um lots of really good monsters gave me a lot of ideas to do um, a evil demonic cult kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, campaign. I want to do yeah. like an evil cult campaign with like something where it's like slimes and molds with chewy blicks. And oh, they have yeah. all of these stats in there that let you convert regular cultists into cultists of Jewiblix, and they get special abilities and they get special things like that. Um, and that's for all of like the demon lords and things. Like so uh, really, really cool stuff. And it got me thinking about running a lot of games. So I think any book that inspires you to want to run more D&D is a good book to purchase. But yeah, and I like the uh, I, I want to do a devil contract gets one of the players in a contract or even all of the players in some way but is going to use them to fight the demons because that's really talked about quite a bit in Mordekainen's that um they're you know they're constantly at war they're constantly yeah. going into each other's territory and the real difference between the chaotic forces and evil but lawful right mm -hmm. they follow laws they follow rules the the contract is everything and this idea of having the characters almost the storyline of you have to pick one evil because both sides are evil. There is no good side. Yeah. You're helping one of them. So you pick the lesser of the evils then. Yeah. And then maybe the story is about which one is truly the lesser of the evil. Is it the, 
the lawful evil is lesser than the chaotic evil, or mm-hmm. is the chaotic evil lesser than the lawful? And I think that'd be kind of a fun thing to Moral put the quandary. players in the middle of. Yeah, yeah, put the players in the middle of it. Just see what happens. No, for sure. Um, and I had a thought, and it completely just walked away out of my head. Oh, no. So that's fun. (laughs) Um, And then the other news that's coming out is next weekend is the Stream of Many Eyes, where we're going to, their Wizards of the Coast is going to announce all their new products and their new storyline and all the the fun stuff that's happening with that. Um, I'm still confused about this No Stone Unturned. I've been trying to follow it. I've gone to the wiki. I've kind of like delved into it, but it's like people are getting these, these, uh, these rune symbols Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to translate what they mean. But, um, it seems like nobody really knows what's going on. And then I was watching the fireside chat with, uh, is his name Nathan? Who's the like head developer? Yeah. Of wizards of the, or of dungeons and dragons for wizards of the coast. And Mm -hmm. he was even just like, I don't even know what's happening. Like there's, there's stuff here that we're not even in the know of what's going on with no stone unturned. So I think, I'm excited for all the release stuff of all the new things, but I'm more excited for, I'm like, what was that? Like, how did that, how were we supposed to figure that out? And maybe people have figured it out and I'm just not researching deep enough. Um, yeah. But it, on surface level, it's very confusing. Well, and you would think if it's, it, it's obviously a marketing thing, right? Because oh, yeah. that company's not doing something that's not a marketing thing. So the marketing thing is supposed to draw you in and get the hype up. But I don't know because of how circumspect they've been that anybody but maybe like a few of us that constantly watch their channel and constantly watch every little thing they put out, we caught on, but I don't think the regular Dungeons and Dragons fan has caught on that. There's even what even that is. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's not been over Twitter that much. Um, it's not been on their shows very much. You see little hashtags about it every now and then, but you don't see much else. So I feel like it's one where it was probably one of those good ideas, but it didn't, somehow catch on the way a marketing thing should like i've seen some other games where they talked about um they were games that i never even played but their marketing campaign had me engaged with they were doing something that was like a government conspiracy and they were sending all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff out and if it was real or not and you know really it was really cool and then the actual game had nothing you know wasn't even that great or anything but the (laughs) the campaign to tell you about the game was awesome and and drew drew a lot of people in i feel like this one did that the last time with Tomb of Anni- or Stream of Annihilation, like we all kind of, we figured it out, I guess. Like I didn't even have to really try to figure it out where I'm like, we're going to go to Chult. Uh, you know, yeah. it's this unexplored jungle-ish kind of thing. And so I was ready to have all kinds of like lore videos based on Chult when, I, when it came out. And this one, I'm just like, well, we're going to Waterdeep. Like we know, we know something about Waterdeep, but we don't really know past that. Um, yeah. And we know there's a guy, we know there's a guy with many eyes under Waterdeep because we just had mm-hmm. a book two books ago that ex- that explained everybody who Xanathar is yeah, basically. Yeah. Although it didn't have a lot about Xanathar in the guide. It had some, but it wasn't like a big No, there rendition. was no like lore of Xanathar and the history of yeah. him. He was just the well, the narrator that interjected while you read it kind of a thing. Just like yeah. Morden Kanan in this book interjects and Volo and Volo interjected. Um, that's the new format for their books, I guess. So we're going to have like, Elminster's Guide to Magic next, and it's going to be yeah. Elminster talking. I was kind of hoping to know a little bit more about Mordekainen because now that they brought him up, yeah. it was somebody that I hadn't really heard of too much, and I've I've now heard of a little bit more about him. But now I was like, once the book came out, I thought, oh, maybe I'll get more about him. So they need at least a page or two on the person. Yeah, the history of this, even like a real life history, like it was Gary Gygax's wizard and etc. Like, 
Um, they should, yes. Wizards of the Coast, if you're watching. Wizards. <laughs> please include um, some more lore and history about these characters. Because, like, Volo's the same way. I, and I know they've used Volo as a, as a, I don't know, like a character to he's narrate been an adventure. the realms. Yeah, he's in Tomb he's, of Annihilation. Yeah. He's just, like, yeah, yeah. an adventurer. But we don't really know why he does this. And Well, I guess we do in a way. Like, he's yeah. just an adventurer. But... I don't know. I'm contradicting myself. It's a great Saturday morning here at the Saturday Morning D&D <laughs> yeah. Show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we love it all. We're going to watch the streams. It may sound like we're digging on them a little bit, but we're definitely watching the streams. Yeah. We're, me and Jordan are always watching all the stuff they're putting out because we're, we're super invested. We're su- super passionate about that game and mm-hmm. the whole hobby. Um, I like that. I saw the um, one of the streams they did, uh, Mark Holmes... He's he's the DM of one of them, and there is a uh, live chat of him talking about what he's going to run in his game, and he's doing kind of a Gangs of New York style session for his on June first or second, whichever okay. day he's on. He's got Matthew Lillard from um, you guys actor. would know him from Wing Commander movie or Scooby Doo, I think. Was Scream, <laughs> Scream, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So he's playing. Thirteen Ghosts. It was really funny. The one thing I liked about that was uh, he was talking about. It sounded like, and I, I think this is true. Last year they invited him to Tomb of Annihilation. I do remember seeing him play. What I hadn't realized was I think that was the first time he got invited to anything like that, or maybe even played. Mm-hmm. And he was huge into it now like he he got the bug bit him last year and he was super excited to be coming back this year so i thought that was pretty cool to hear and then i saw the jocks moxina game for all of you for all of you that are the um critical role fans they're doing joe and i'll get his name wrong all the time Matt magniola Magnet. Oh, I can't. No, say his I had it in my so head right tough. before you said it wrong. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Joe. Joe's cool, dude. Joe from True Blood. <laughs> yeah, and in a bunch of movies currently. Like he's been in a bunch of the movies just recently, even. And but they're gonna have uh, him. And I saw the big show from WWE. So I'm a big wrestling fan from back in the day. And I thought, oh my god, they're gonna bring in Big Show, one of the biggest dudes on this planet, is gonna come in, sit at the chair at the table, and roll some dice. And I was like, I was just like, I hope he plays like a halfling barbarian or just something just totally <laughs> crazy. Or like he plays like a, a strength six wizard or something, yeah. you know, and just that'd be so funny. So that would be cool. Hopefully he doesn't play the Goliath, you know, like he already is one play. You got to play something else, right? Like you got to play against your type a little. <laughs> Manganello, I believe, is how you pronounce that. Manganello. I could be All wrong. Right. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. So he's going to be in it. So that's going to be a fun uh, one to watch for me, I think. Um, and there's lots of games. We'll still be doing our show, I'm pretty sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll be here next week. So, so we'll have lots we'll to here. talk about. Take a break from the, the stream of many yeah. eyes for an hour. Come watch the Saturday morning D&D show where we talk about the stream of many eyes. And then you can go back to the stream of many eyes. It's very mm-hmm. like it's just this little yeah. little nice little break in the middle. Yeah, and one of these times we gotta we're gonna get involved in one of these big stream extravaganzas. We're you know I'm trying to work behind the scenes to get us in some other stuff where we do like full days of streaming and we bring a bunch of people in and because we want to. I just love the idea of lots of different games that are handing the baton off. So like you know you start in the morning of a four hour slot, then you hand it off to another GM and it's mm-hmm. a four hour slot you hand it off and and uh, I just think that'd be a really cool idea to to try to do on the channel. Itself. Yeah, it could be lots so of fun. Yeah. So other than that, that's what they're yeah, that's what they're getting ready for. Yeah. Um 
what what did you do in D and D this week, Lucian? What's going on in your games? Yeah, yeah. So uh, no D and D. All right, guys. Thanks for the oh, show. Well, it okay, awesome. it's great. Thanks <laughs> so much for coming it. out. <laughs> yeah. So this week started with so much potential. If you'd have watched last week, you'd have seen how excited I was because my Thursday night game was about to get to a very pivotal point. A very big story um, reveal was right about to happen. Um, I decided to run a one shot on Friday that I thought was going to be really fun and cool. I still think it will be, um, Tuesday was going to be our tomb of annihilation. And we can get back to that. I was getting close to being fifth level. So I'm in this quandary quandary of you have to solidify your character at fifth level. You can't make any changes anymore. So I was thinking, should I change them? Should I leave them? Should I switch my feats around or what? And everything got rescheduled this week. So <laughs> tomb of annihilation got rescheduled and I thought, okay, that'd give me more time to prep my games my Thursday and my Friday game. And I got the Thursday and one player was out. And I thought what would be a, maybe a good quick discussion with us was the idea of, do you run a game even if one player's yeah. gone? Because I got a lot of flack from several of the players saying, we should just play. We shouldn't have to wait for everybody to be there. Cause you know, schedules are never always going to be perfect. Yeah. And if we wait, we're only going to play once a month. So it's clear that their frustration comes from they really are into the game and they really want to play. They don't want to miss a session. Which is encouraging. But there are other people, right. But there are people that have different schedules. Somebody got sick or somebody had a, a, a work schedule that, that overlapped. And so from a DM perspective, this is what I was thinking. So my current rule, and Jordan can jump in anywhere here who he wants. My current rule right now for my West Marches game, the Thursday night game, is that if one person's missing and they're in town, they can leave that person in town and the group can go, whoever shows up can go out and adventure. If they're already out on an adventure and somebody's missing, I'm not going to run the session until we have the group back. Um, and my, my reasoning is, is that there's a lot happening that drives the story forward. Like this next piece that they're about to do, they just had entered a room at the end of our session two things came forward that were guarding the room. That's a huge reveal. And they heard something that's happening behind it. So my plan was when Thursday kicked off, they were going to get to see what the heck is going on in this room. And it was going to blow the whole campaign open. And I didn't want one of my main players, one of my stalwart players missing that. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to miss that whole scene, miss that because we're not recording that session. So it's not like that person can go back and relive. He just has yeah. to hear it from one of us. And, then you have to deal with the idea of who's going to play the character. Does the GM play the character? Do you let another player play the character? How, you know, what, what's the decision? So I bounced back and forth with trying this out and I'm still not sure I have the right solution. Um, I'd love to hear what your solution has been thus far. Cause I know a yeah. lot of your games get rescheduled. Yeah. My games get rescheduled a lot. So we, we, it's a social contract that you make with your players. I mean, you just kind of decide how you guys want to handle this. And we decided that if more than one person was missing, that we would um, cancel. So if two people are missing. Now, unfortunately, I play with uh, couples. So usually if one, if like the wife is missing, the husband is also gone. And if the husband is missing, then the wife is also gone. So that causes nine times out of 10 when one person is missing, two people are missing, and then we cancel. Um, but occasionally we'll have one person who's just like, you know, I can't make it because of whatever circumstances, but please play without me and we'll just play. 
Now, in your case, where that was like a pivotal, pivotal moment, I can't use my words, my mouth, my mouth words aren't working. But um, because of that, I would just explain like, hey, guys, this is an important session. I really want everybody to have it. And I'm sorry that you're upset, but like it wouldn't it makes more sense to have everybody here because when you miss the finale of the show, like that's that's sad. I don't know. It's yeah. kind of like, why not have everybody there? Um, yeah. And then. I've tried it both ways where when somebody's missing, you have like the GM play their player or something like that. But what I find is easiest and you have to suspend belief, but it's a game. So it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think it's easier to do. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people get all bent out of shape. And I, I think Colville just made a video about this too, where it's, or he was tweeting about how there are people that the game is not realistic enough and so they keep making more rules to make the game more realistic, like carrying capacity and you have weight and how much water are you drinking during the day? And like, let's make more and more rules to make this feel real. When I think we need to step back and say, it's a game. Like we can do that. And, and maybe that's fun for you to make it more real. But like at the end of the day, it is a game. So we just kind of have this person float off into nothing and then it's like they're just not there and you can't utilize that person. And and I've done it in mid-combat where like we're in a combat and then it's like, okay, we'll pick up this combat next week. And this happened a lot in fourth edition because combats just took three hours. And yeah. it would just be like, I would just as a GM, like rebalance it and say, this person's not there now. So you kind of just have to work without it. That is the easiest and it makes the most sense to me to do if that makes sense, like to just kind of be like, they're just not here. And you kind of just have to pretend that they're not here. You can't, you can't rely on their skills. You can't rely on, on their equipment. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, I like that too, because here's it's less real, here's but it's more, it's, yeah. it's better for the game. I feel from the, from the DM perspective, from actually running the game perspective, fifth level character, fourth level character, what happens is, if I move that character sheet over to another player who's not been playing the arcane trist trickster rogue, mm -hmm. right? two things can happen. One, they start to do things that are a little bit metagamey, like because now they're playing two characters. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very easy for me to use one character as a setup for another character. When we all know at the table that that one character might not have done that ever before if the normal player was here playing it. But since they handed me the character, I'm going to use it to set up my barbarian to do something really cool because yeah. that's my normal character. So I kind of wanted to stay away from that. Not that any of my players had done it, but I know it's a danger. The other problem that I saw happened was they didn't, I would hand a character sheet over to one of the players and they were like, uh, I don't really know how to play the spell singer. I'd be like, okay, what's your AC? And they're looking at the sheet and they're like, uh, I don't know because his AC is marked down as, 13 which is his normal ac but then he gets his special ability yeah he gets his mage armor he gets his this and that we think it's 22 might be 21 i uh. yeah. so then we you know kind of fumble over that and then they'll use spells and then the player will come back the next week and he'll be like so how many spell slots did i use and nobody can remember yeah nobody can figure out what happened and it just adds a bunch of bookwork crap that I didn't want. So then when that happened, I thought I'll take the character. I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. And I played them very dumb. I played them. You swing sword, you shoot bow. That's all you do. <laughs> you know, it was like, but then it was like, all of a sudden their, their party almost died because the bard who had healing spells, I was just using his bow 
on his turn, he would shoot at the creature and we'd move on to keep the game moving. But he had the healing spells that we needed to keep the, the party alive. And I was just like, so now that became an issue and it doesn't, I don't want it to detract because I'm already running 15 other characters, right? Because it was large vultures. It was cultists. It was attacking all the players. I've got everything moving. I'm, I'm running a stream. I'm answering chat, you know, all kinds of things are going on. And now I'm going to take on a player character at the same time and try to play them. Yeah. So it was just a huge overhead of extra stuff. I think it's different if maybe you're sitting at a table and it might be different if you're playing online. You might have different... Very different, I think, yeah. Have to work, though, because um, running two involved. characters on Roll20 is... That's a lot of work, I feel. Um, a lot yeah. of, like, windows that need to be open and bouncing back and forth between things. But rolling it at the table, it's a little easier. And I've done it before. Like, when my wife was gone, um, I played her character... And this is an interesting uh, situation because my wife, uh, if you've listened to our latest, my latest Patreon podcast, uh, I interviewed my wife and she doesn't really like D&D. She plays because of me and she loves me and she loves our friends and hanging out with our friends. But like the actual playing of D&D, she doesn't care for that much. And she's playing like a Beastmaster Ranger. And I always feel like she's underutilizing her character because she is so focused on keeping her. Um, she's got a uh, a mastiff that we've reflavored as like a giant corgi um, as her animal companion, and she's so focused on keeping her animal companion alive that she doesn't put it into danger. So there's been a couple times where it's like, oh, like my wife's not here, I'll play her character. And I'm doing all these attacks with the dog that knocks him prone and then she gets advantage. And I'm like, she's really powerful if you kind of play the character correctly, but you got to put that dog in danger um, in order to do that. Um, (laughs) And it's just kind of my friends at the table were just like, wow, like she's actually a lot more powerful than she thinks. And I'm like, yep, because she's just scared of keeping her dog like that. Uh, In that instance, it was really fun for me, I guess, as a DM to kind of, take that character and play it to its max potential as opposed Mm -hmm. to um, my, my wife, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is that's like, you want to do all of it, right? You want it to be, you want it to feel like it's the same person playing. You want to feel like the character is being played as the character, not as the player. Um, You want your game to run smooth without hiccups. You don't want to slow things down because people don't understand Um, So then it started becoming like the buddy system for me. It was like, okay, if this person's gone, I want you to be really know how to play the barbarian because if I have to move their character over to you, you know what you're doing with the barbarian. And if this person's gone, I need you to play the mage. The mage is big because it's got a lot of spells, a lot of stuff going on. I think you need to play this if that person's gone. So it was almost like this crazy just to get to play, but, or we just don't play. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, that's my policy. If you're missing one person, you can play if that person's okay with you guys, you know, playing. And then that, that character just floats away for a little bit. But if you're missing two people, like, and I've got a group of five, like if we were missing two, we could hypothetically still play with three people, but it just doesn't feel right for us. So, yeah. So I think my new plan my, my new plan is because here's here's the downside of what I've decided. So for me, it works out. But I say, hey, we're not going to play a game. So now what's the downside of we not playing a game? Well, we might lose some enthusiasm of the players. So if we don't play this week, then people start to think about, well, we don't really have to play every week because we didn't play that other week. And we just waited till the next week. And then maybe mm-hmm. enthusiasm for the game starts to wane. People start doing other stuff because, hey, nobody has to be there. There's no urgency for everybody to be there. And then maybe your group falls apart, which happens to every single DM. That's why they say 
most campaigns don't go past 10th level is because you can't keep your group together that long. You can't keep the same set of people with the same set of schedules for that long. So solution to that, hear me out. This is what I'm thinking. I want to run my main campaign, mm -hmm. but I want to have all my characters roll up some secondary character unrelated to this and if anybody's missing we move over to those characters and we play D&D with yeah. a fun one shot meant to happen in a very single session game and then it doesn't matter who's there doesn't matter how many of them showed up we just play with those we have a good time and then we start back up on the normal campaign again so that way we don't miss a week of gaming due to somebody's schedule that needs to be changed so I think that's what I'm going to try to do but it requires forethought into making sure that you create a scenario or a very short adventure that you know only lasts a session because it can't be something that needs to be taken care of in another session, right? Because mm -hmm. that's not what it's for. It's meant to be a, a stopgap. It's meant to be a one-shot, and it has Here, to be a one-shot. I don't know how you award experience points. Do you award experience points or do you milestone? Doing milestone for my campaigns right now uh west marches is all xp based so here um you don't necessarily need to roll new characters um you could use your the same characters so let's say um five people are there two of them can't make it you want to keep D, D rolling i'm going to use these three characters they can still play their original characters but you're going to say this is an interlude we're going to pause where you are this is like a flashback or or something else this is way, way back you did this when you were um, early on in your career and just let them play a, a one shot with those characters. There's nothing saying that you can't do that. Yeah. And then the items they've collected from that, they then come back to the main thing and it's like, Oh yeah, I've always had this, you know, magic sword or this flute that calls birds to my aid. Um, because I got it when we did this like flashback when I was uh, on a sailing ship and I, and I fought a bunch of skeletons. Um, that's something that I've tried in the past and it, it's fun and it, it works if you use milestone XP and I guess it would work if you use regular experience points too and just allow that person because they have played more games to level up quicker. But I like it when everybody can level up at the same time and be the same level. So that's yeah, why yeah. I prefer milestone. But I think yeah. in my next, this is a tangent, but I think in my next game, I want to use experience points just to try out that system and see how it works. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing both. I'm doing, in Storm King's Thunder was milestone. In the West Marches game, it was XP based because I wanted to see the differences between the two. Yeah, um, and see how it all worked out. Yeah. I encourage everybody to do that. Don't just listen to people to say this is what you should do. But try them out. <laughs> I would say, and you could. I would encourage you to try this or try your yeah. idea. But I would also uh, warn you that I, I've done it in the past, and I think it it really does get exhausting because people like you said, they realize they can miss because, oh, Lucian's got this thing in the background. He's got this thing on the back burner. So it, it's not a big deal if I miss. Um, I was recently talking to uh, Lex from Dank Dungeons TV, and we were talking about this, and he, he very much went to his players and said, listen, guys, I want to do Tomb of Annihilation, but here's the deal. This is only going to work if you can make it consistently. So if you miss more than two sessions, I'm replacing you. And if you, uh, 
if you, I think that was basically it. Like if you miss more than two sessions, I'm replacing you. Um, because he needed people that could consistently be there. Um, and he's like, you'll understand as we play why that's important. And it's really worked out in his favor. Like all of his players are super invested and to the point where, I think they had something going on and they were calling in sick to that so that they could make games, which I'm not mm-hmm. encouraging people to do, but is kind of an awesome feeling as a dungeon master where you're like, they're valuing the game so much that we're actually having this, this cool moment between all of us and they want to make sure that they're able to be there for that. Um, yeah. So it's not, not so much intimidating them to being like, I'm going to replace you if you can't make it, but it, it is an ultimatum saying, you know, we can have this really cool experience, but only if you guys commit to it. And I was thinking the next game I run after talking to Lex, I'm like, man, the next game that I run, I really want to do that. Um, and just kind of set that precedent and say, Hey, I'm going to run uh, white plume mountain. It's going to take uh, eight or nine sessions. You guys need to, co- you need to commit for eight or nine weeks. And then after that, we're done. But like, if you do commit to those eight or nine weeks, we can have an epic eight or nine week campaign. Like it could be really, really cool. So, yeah. and I also one other thought that keeps percolating into my brain about this whole thing is that Adam Colwell talks about it quite a bit, and even the West Marches style game talks to you about this: the idea that it's not the DM's job to schedule the game. Yeah, it's not the DM's job to figure out or encourage players to make it. It's the players themselves that should be doing that. It's the players that should be organizing when the game's going to happen. It should be the players that are going to the GM to say, I have my party ready. Can you run the game for us now? Yeah. Versus the GM trying to do all the wrangling. And West Marches was an idea to combat that. West Marches was anybody can play in this game. You form your group up. You tell me when you're ready and I will tell you if I have time to run the game that like I'm okay. I have a Friday slot open. You said your group's ready. I'm ready to run it. And so, and you create a website that allows them to communicate to your GMs because you can have more than one to say, all right, we have a group formed. It's a third level group. We're all going to do this. We've got five of us. We're ready to go. Who can GM for us? One of the GMs that's free can say, okay, I've got a Friday slot. Everybody gets hooked up and we go on this awesome West Marches adventure and we do that. And it puts the pressure on the players to be the organizers, not the GM. Yeah. Because the thing which, that Adam, as a GM, really nice okay. feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, and one of the things that Adam has been saying in a lot of his stuff, I love Adam Kobo for the way he thinks about things. This game is a team game. And we are not the managers of it. We are not the owners of it. We are merely a player that has the same agency, even though we're the GM or DM, that the player has, mm-hmm. right? So every single player at the table, GM included, has the same exact agency. We all have the same responsibility to make sure everybody has fun. We all have the same responsibility to make sure we can schedule games. We all have the same responsibility to deal with a problem that props up at the, at the table, we all have the same exact responsibility to decide how the rules are going to be placed. It's not, it shouldn't just be, though I think it tends to be this way. The GM says, this is how I'm going to run my game. And I think that's where the danger is. That's one of the things that he's been pointing out quite a bit. And I'm leaning towards, don't make it about it's your game. Make it about it's our game. How do we want to handle an initiative rule? How do we want to handle somebody 
doing something at the table that was went a little too far. It's not the GM's job to babysit. It's not the GM's yeah. job to tell people what to do. We're all there to play a board game, right? In in reality, it's like almost looking at it from a board cooperative board game standpoint versus the I think the way we lean into it more of the GM is the the overall super the demi god. Yeah, that's and what so they think of. They must, yeah, they must be in charge of everything. Well, they're it's, not. We and we <laughs> say it all the time. I mean, it, there's yeah. a reason that you have these uh, these beliefs. Is that it's always like, oh, it's the GM's game. It's it's this guy's game. It's Jordan's yeah. game. And it's like, well, it's really our game. Um, yeah. But you're right. This guy does put a lot more time into building it for you. But it is collectively our game that we're playing. Like the GM can't play without the players. So it's not necessarily just his game. Yeah. No, I, I tried this week. It wasn't, it didn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> I was rolling dice. Rolling dice yeah. You're just like, oh man, this monster did but, so much damage so I thought to that'd nothing. Be, yeah. Yeah. I thought that'd be an interesting thought. Maybe people can uh, think about that. I did see a question in chat that talked about when awarding milestone XP, how do you determine the pace of leveling? For me, the story has certain beats that say you're going to do maybe one or two randomish kind of encounters. And then you have this kind of big moment and past that the players now need to be the next level because the next thing they're going to get into a couple more randomy encounter kind of things, some quest stuff's going to happen. And then another big moment's going to happen. They need to be ready for that next big moment. So the leveling is happening at the big moments and it's prepping them for whatever's going to happen in the next big moment. So the idea of well, what happens if you're leveling too quickly? There's not really, there's no problem to that, right? There is no, I think, leveling too quickly in Dungeons and Dragons because we go to level 20 and we very rarely get that high level, anyways. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think Dungeons and Dragons levels too slow. Most of us don't get to the cool character options. Like, when's the last time you got to fire off your 15th level ability? Yeah. You know, when's the last time you got to fire off a fifth level spell? We just don't do it. But we do burn through first and second level sometimes pretty quick. And you think, oh, this is going really quick. But it really, I don't think is. In fact, I want to do a session where every session, it's going to be a 20-session campaign. Session one, level one. Session two, level two. Session three, level three. And just go through the whole thing, one to 20, compact. Everybody gets to play their character. Because I think the players want to get to their abilities. The players want to roll dice for new hit dice. The players want to go back to the spell list and find out what new spell they're going to get. You know, they want to do those things. So I don't think there is, I don't, in my mind, I don't think there is a, you're leveling too quickly. Uh, that really threshold. works too. I, a friend of mine did that and invited me to his game and, but his mentality was we're going to play um, for six weeks and every week you're going to be a new level. So level one, two, three, all the way to six. And then once you got to level six, that's when the campaign kind of started for him. So we would level slowly. Like it might be every like three or four sessions we actually level up because that's where he felt like we had enough meat and potatoes to kind of play through the game that he wanted to run. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a clever idea and it could be a lot of fun or just start higher level. Like if you want to start a game, like I've done it too, where I'm like, Hey, I'm running white plume mountain and we're all going to be level eight. Um, I'm running tomb of horrors and we're all going to be level 10. Uh, yeah. I was on a, I was streaming Neverwinter nights and I was talking to PB and she was saying like, she's never played a high level thing. And I was like, Oh, I should run like tomb of horrors for you guys. And you can all be like level 10 and her, eye, like, well, I imagine her eyes just lit up. We were talking through chat, yeah, yeah. but she was super she excited because she's like, 
but there's so in and, and yeah just not a lot of people play high level stuff but i think with mordenkane and stomophodes that's also going to change hopefully because there's now high level monsters so yeah yeah she she told me that the other day too she was like uh i'm kind of bored of the one shots because i keep doing all mine at the level three to five because yeah. i've realized i love the level three to five i love where those characters are i love that they're not too powerful but they're finally getting into something that makes them different from the rest of the people in the world but I totally forget that players have different likes than I do, right? Because mm-hmm. you just keep think we make games that we like, not always remembering that we also need to make games that other people like. Yeah. So when I'm doing all these one shots, I'm doing three to five, three to five, three to five, because it's just a nice. And to me, I always thought if you just hand somebody a 12th level character, that's a lot to just it is. consume it is. in your first session. But if you're an experienced D&D player, you can figure it out. Like, you, you, yeah. you've usually got a plan, I feel. so. Yeah, so that'd be interesting. I think, I think too, I want to do, because Mordekane and this put it out, I definitely want to do some high-level stuff. I need, to, I need to get into that 10th level area, because that's a fun area to, to, to look at. And maybe 18th, that just before you get to 20th, yeah. there's some really cool spots there that you could, you could really go after. So it could be interesting. Yeah. So other than that, um, I did create a really fun one-shot. Jordan's in it, so I can't tell you guys too much about it. Um, It is one that I found in Dragon Magazine 201 back in the day. It is a fourth edition adventure article. And the challenge I proposed to myself was I wanted to convert something from fourth to fifth. So I just wanted to see it. And I'd never played fourth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I'm looking at the stat blocks of fourth, it was very interesting to see how that stat block is very different than a fifth edition stat block. Yeah. Like I was a little confused about what was going on because I hadn't played fourth. Um, but I, I got it converted over. I think I've got it right at the right CR level for the right players. We'll see. Maybe they'll walk through it and be easier. Maybe it'll kill them all. And I, I misconverted it, but I think it'll be a fun little thing. Um, I like the idea that it was an old, adventure from a dragon magazine which is cool it's a little side adventure i like the idea that it was a fourth edition that i'm converting to a fifth that gives me a little more knowledge and i think at some point i might want to try to play a fourth edition game yeah so i don't know if i'll if i'll try to run one or if i'll try to play in one see if somebody's out there because i know if you can go to roll 20 and you can go out to uh the forums and there's lots of people advertising what games they're running i know people are still running some fourth edition i know you've played it I've ran ran it. it. Yeah. No, I ran a fourth edition game for a year. So it's been, it's been three years, maybe four years now. Uh, But I could, I could try and pick it up and see if I can remember how to play. So, yeah, I might get into it because I want to have the total knowledge. Like I was a big aid advanced Dungeons and Dragons fanatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was totally into third edition up to 3.5. I even played a little bit of Pathfinder, which really is kind of the same 3.75 yeah (laughs) but i skipped fourth just because i was playing a lot of computer games like that was the the time that computer games really blossomed for me so it was like i was in mmos and and shooters and strategy games and i was playing everything and everything and minecrafts and all that stuff so i kind of got out of tabletopping during the fourth it wasn't because i didn't like fourth or i didn't i listened to the community like oh they all hate it and it's the worst thing ever it was just computer kind of gaming took over for Mm -hmm. me for that so I think I want to go back. I don't want to. I want to have my knowledge base of Dungeons and Dragons to be pretty full. So I think I want to go back and I want to look at some fourth edition, just so I have this idea of this is what it was. Try to form my own opinion without it 
it'll be tough because it's it's already probably clouded at this point. There's no way to get around other people's views on it at this point. But I want to have a, a good, well-rounded look at yeah. it. So hopefully you should. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we'll put it up on the, the new YouTube channel. Maybe we'll yeah, put up yeah. a couple of yeah, no, uh, I can dust off some of my fourth edition books and maybe try and figure out a one shot or something. But yeah, that'd be cool. That'd so, be really okay, cool. So that was that was my stuff. Um, the other thing I did that was really fun we we allowed them because they were I allowed you guys to be fifth level characters. I let them roll on the magic tables for magic items, and that was pretty fun. Each of the players got to pick from two magic items which one they wanted. So where did you um, get those two? Cause I was curious about that. Cause I rolled like a 96 and you're at, you're like, you can have this or this. And I'm like, okay, but yeah. how is that in the, the DMV? Because you rolled two dice, you rolled a nine and a six. So uh, I went to chart C in the DMG guide and I looked at the 96 entry and I looked at the 69 entry. Oh, okay. So, and like the other guys rolled like a 43 and a 34. That's, you know, it was like yeah. these other numbers. So there's always two numbers there. Okay. And so I you just, just said, switched. Here them. you go. That this number sense. or that number. So what, prompted me at the end of that you guys were kind of laughing about what you got and maybe it worked for your character or not i was thinking about a, a fun interesting campaign to start where i have every player roll two magic items first and then you create your character so don't give you a choice you get a random two magic items and then from there you use your imagination to say okay what would this person look like that would have these two magic items like i rolled you know, I don't know, just something like I got a cloak of elven kind, and then I got a, a bracer of defense. What character should I build? Because those are the two items I'm going to have. And then so so start the process of character building after you know what your magic items are. I thought mm-hmm. might be an interesting, fun thing to do. Um, I'm always having these weird ideas. And we were going to try a new initiative in that game. So I wanted to do an initiative where we're going to roll every single round a new initiative order. And the only thing I wanted to see was how long did it take? Did it make the game take longer? Did it add a more tactical element to the game? Was it more fun because we did it? Or did it not matter? Did it just still work out the same way? So I just wanted to see what would happen if every single round we rolled a new initiative order. Because on roll 20, it's real easy for me to clear it. Everybody select their token, hit initiative. It all pops up. It's there. It's not a big thing. And we can move on and and keep going. So that was the other thing that we were going to try in that game. So eventually we're going to run it may not happen this weekend. It may happen it up maybe next week. We'll look at people's schedules and we'll put it up. I think it, I think I would uh, like to put that one up on the new YouTube channel. Maybe we'll put the, the one shot up on the new YouTube channel. Um, Cause I've got plenty of stuff that I can do for mine. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's it. I hope everybody's having a awesome weekend and a fun gaming weekend. What have you done in your Dungeons and Dragons, Mr. Jordan? Oh, man. I played D&D. Um, so I ran my Sunday game, which had uh, lots of travel. Um, and they finished. They're, they're kind of wandering the desert, but they, they were in a Yuanti tomb, like a, a temple. And they, these Yuanti had stolen uh, a bunch of people and were transforming them into snake people. So they kind of found like a bunch of slaves like shackled to the walls and, and victims really and kind of saved them and rehydrated them because they were super dehydrated and like t- some of them were t- turning into half snakes and things like that. So they kind of dispelled a bunch of magic and greater restoration, et cetera, healed them up. Um, and then we did a big challenge, a skill challenge to get from uh, the tomb where they kind of mopped up the rest of the monsters 
and then went to uh, the the big city. And so that's where they decided to go. So I was like, well, let's do a skill challenge for this like day, two days of walking. And I had a list. And so I, this is something new that I've tried. I've done skill challenges in the past where I give them like one problem. Like you have a sandstorm. How do you guys get past this sandstorm? You need eight successes before three failures. The DC is 14. Uh, everybody roll initiative and then they go around in a circle, uh, go around in initiative order. And we say like, well, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Um, and they can use different skills, hence the skill challenge to, um, facilitate their way through this, uh, this desert storm. This one, I decided to do something different where I had a list of a hundred desert encounters. And because it was such a long travel, it was a two days of travel. Every single time I would say, do you guys want to solve the previous problem? Or do you like help with the previous problem? Or do you want to move on and have a new problem? And I would roll on this random, a hundred random desert encounters. And it would be anything from you find a sick camel to a spider attacked you to quicksand to whatever else. So it was... It was interesting. And my players at the end of it, I asked them, like, do you guys like this? And they said they had fun. But the problem was, is that we would go through and somebody would say, well, I'm really good at, um, let's say, athletics, but you have a bunch of like desert traders coming up to me. There's nothing athletic that I can use for them. So I had to use an ability like uh, persuasion or intimidation, which they weren't good at, which caused us to get um, two failures, like really, really quick. And so they were just Mm -hmm. like, how are we going to get six successes when we can lose by just getting one more failure? Um, well, in my game, you can use inspiration tokens to reroll a die. So when, when they would like fail, they failed like three or I think three more times, but they had three inspiration tokens to give me (laughs) to negate that. Um, and then they turned around and succeeded. So I don't know, like, I guess my question to you is how do you handle long travel like that? Do you just wave it off or do you like I was trying to make it fun and interesting because I could have waved it off really easy. And and in hindsight, maybe I should have, but Mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel like they actually had to to like it was a challenge to get to where they're going. So it's not this easy like you just walk through the desert. Um, Previous to this, I've done uh, constitution rolls like every couple of hours I do a constitution roll. And they find something else in the desert that they had to take care of. Like they found an oasis that they like checked out and it turned out to be an oasis from a mm-hmm. uh, tomb of or tome of beasts, which was really cool. Um, they found like some, some weird sand spiders and things like that, that they had to fight. But for this one, the goal was to get to the town. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to have an entire session that was like four or five mini encounters. So I thought I'd turn the whole thing into that. I'm talking too much. So now what do you think? <laughs> no, no, I think, and I think even Colville was talking about that this past week on one of his videos too. And um, so far I've played out the travel in all of my games. Like, yeah. so if I knew they were going somewhere for two weeks, we probably had two sessions that ended up being random encounter sessions before they got to where they were going. Mm. I, I just played it out because I guess in my head, or in my mind, I like the exploration and the randomness stuff happening as a player. Yeah. So I didn't even think to say, let's just wave it off. And, you know, I want to get to this other piece real quick. So how could we just get past it? Because this is maybe not the heroic part of the story. Like, it doesn't really matter in the long run of things. Yeah. Um, maybe we should just get to the meat of what's going on. And so, no, I, I've always played out the travel 
I haven't hand waved it. I haven't. Uh, I, we just played out so far. And then, do you have I, random encounters, or like, how do you do you do you map it out as a GM? You say like, okay, we're gonna do two yeah. days of travel. They're gonna hit this on their travels, and then this, and then this. Or do you do random di- table rolls, or? It's random, but I roll what encounters might happen first, so I can prep how I want those encounters to possibly happen. Okay. And then as they get to the spot where it could happen, I then let them use their abilities to either understand it's about to happen or even avoid it if they wish, Mm -hmm. right? So that their abilities come into play as far as, no, we don't really want to deal with these trolls. We would like to bypass them and just keep going. Um, and move past them. So I'm ready for that. But so I they're already doing know... like perception checks and scouting and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you yeah. discovered a bunch of trolls. How do you want to handle yeah. this? And rather yeah, than just like, you get ambushed. Matter... Yeah, yeah. Their skills don't matter that an encounter is going to happen. Their skills pertain to, will you surprise the encounter? Will the encounter surprise you? Right. Will you be able to avoid the, the encounter altogether? Or will you choose to fight the encounter? That's where all their skills and stuff come in, in my mind. So I don't have them roll the, like a survival check to see if, oh, you rolled a four. So that means now let me roll on my chart. And here's, you have to fight two guard dragon drakes okay. or whatever. Um, I do, yeah, I think I do it a little bit different than that, but it's similar. Yeah, I don't know. I like I like both ways. Like I like exploring, but in this particular instant instance, we have already explored so much of the desert that I'm like, I feel like they're getting bored with it. I've talked up this city a whole bunch. We really just need to get them to the city. Um, but I didn't want to make it that easy, so I ended up doing this skill challenge, which they ended up succeeding. So they got through the desert just fine. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe my system worked well because at the end of the session they were talking like, Oh, it was cool when we met those traders or those lizard folks. Or do you remember that spider? And they kind of like, they had a sense of this took a, a, an, an amount of time to get through, you know? So, and yeah. now they're all level 10. I'm really excited. This is my home game. We've been running for like two years now. They just hit level 10. Um, we took, uh, or three years, but we took a six to eight month break playing deadlands in the middle um, which is another like Wild West RPG system, which is really fun. Um, there was no Numenera this week. Oh, I, before Numenera, there was no Numenera. I'll just say that uh, because we're on a hiatus, but we are going to come back for season two, which is really exciting. But now that they're in the city, back to my home game, um, I found a really great uh, module online called Scarab of Death which is a murder mystery for 10th level characters. So it's not so much about combat, but they have to use like the skills and the spells that they have to try and figure out like who did it, who killed this guy. Um, And I think I have it up here. Yeah, I do. I'm going to put it in chat. Um, And yeah, my sessions do take place in the Forgotten Realms, but it's the Jordan Forgotten Realms. So I've taken a lot of liberties of like moving some cities around. They're currently in the in a desert, but I took a city from Zakara and moved it north into the Forgotten Realms kind of desert area. So it's it's how numerous people use the realms, I guess. I don't I don't have a hard and fast rule of playing in the Forgotten Realms. I just kind of use it as my backdrop to do what I want with it. But um, mm-hmm. this uh, Scarab of Death is really interesting. So we're going to run that today, actually. we we are My friends were busy on Sunday, so we moved D&D to Saturday. And I'm really excited to run this uh, murder mystery. So I'll tell you guys how it goes next weekend, which is really exciting. And then yeah, other I always than... wonder about those because... Yeah. 
it seems like the mystery sessions I've been in mm -hmm. fall apart quickly when the players get stuck. Like, and that's what I'm worried about and curious about yeah, because yeah. <laughs> a lot of one of the reasons it's a really cool module is it takes in, into account spells like speak with the dead and commune with your God and a bunch of other like spells like that kind mm -hmm. of uh, make murder mysteries really easy where you wake up the corpse and you're like, who killed you? Well, this guy doesn't know who killed him uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm excited for them to utilize a lot of these spells and these skills that they have and still have to put their noggins together to figure out like what it is. It's not impossible. And the adventure is really well written and even has like, like, hey, they should try and figure this out. But if you need to help them, this NPC has some extra answers that, that you can point them in that direction and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be curious to see if they get frustrated or not. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, because I, this happened to me in Storm King's Thunder a little bit where there was like a they go to see they go to talk to an oracle. Right. And they set it up in the module and they have here's a big list of questions that the characters might ask the oracle. Right. And, and I'm looking at them like, yeah, these are all fantastic questions. If they ask these, they're going to really understand what's going on. And then my players asked like one of them. But the way I answered it made them think of something else. And uh -huh. then all of a sudden their thinking got all off the rails. And then they started asking questions that had nothing to do with which what was going to help them. And now it was like, Oh no. And then they got stuck and it was like, Oh, now what do you do? Because <laughs> It seems obvious to me. You're like, why aren't you asking about this one thing? Where is the gem you need? Nobody's asking, where's the gem? They keep asking all these other questions in my mind. I'm like, it's, it's simple. It's right there. Why aren't you asking this? Yeah. Just, you know, it's just like, it's not happening. So I wonder with the mysteries, uh, we had another one where we had a whole campaign come to an end because we got locked in a puzzle room and you had to solve the puzzle to get out of the room. Mm -hmm. We couldn't solve the puzzle. The GM gave us a couple hints. We asked our gods for some, some guidance. He gave us two more hints or so. We still couldn't figure it out. And then we just, all of a sudden, it was just, we're done. Characters die of starvation and, and <laughs> dehydration. We never got out of the room. Like we were just, and everybody was mad about it. We were just like, yeah. why couldn't we get more clues? Or why, I don't understand this. And this is just dumb. And how were we supposed to ever think of that? And I was just like, oh my God. So I was always leery about doing a mystery. But I know it can be done right. I know it can be done in a fun way. I just wonder what's the advice. So probably after you do this, we're going to have a great conversation next yeah. week about it, about if you're going to run a mystery session, here's some things that can help make that work. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have that information by next week. <laughs> Tomb of Horrors is similar. Um, and I had a similar experience with that where they would just be locked in a room and I'm like, you don't know how to get out. And so they got to the point where they were start like, I'm running my fingers along every part of the wall. Like, do I find anything? Because they didn't know how else to get out of certain rooms. Um, and yeah. it can be frustrating when you're just like locked in a place, but it yeah. also leads to creativity, I feel. Yeah. So you just kind of have to nurture that creativity and hope that people uh, latch onto it and come up with creative ways to get out of there. And you as a DM have to be lenient too. Like when they, and you know, when I, not have that. <laughs> when they said they were like <laughs> running their fingers along the wall, I'm like, okay, you're probably going to find the the switch that does this. Because I could say, well, that's great. Roll, you know, investigation. Oh, they rolled low. They don't find it. They're still stuck. You know, you kind of have yeah. to 
that's you have to be lenient as a DM as well. And I think that's going to play into a lot of this where they're going to roll insight checks and stuff to find out who's lying. And then eventually you kind of have to be like, no, you get a sense that like this guy said this thing, but he also, and you believed him, but he contradicted himself here. You know, you rolled really poor insight checks, but you're putting it together that maybe, maybe he is lying. So I don't know. And then before we leave, I bought a painting kit for minis and I painted my first mini and I was going to show everybody. This is my guy that I painted. He's not going to get zoom. He's not going to get focused at all, but uh, I'm really proud of it. It was, I spent like all, cause we didn't play our game last night. And so I was just like, well, what am I going to do? And so I got like the, this new thing came in the mail. So I started painting my mini um, and I got a whole bunch. I'm going to paint my adventure league mini. I'm really excited. I've got all this uh, fun ideas to paint minis now. So that that's my new hobby. And that's what else I'm doing in Dungeons that's, and Dragons. That's a dangerous hobby to get into because it gets out of control and out of hand quickly. I bet. And it's gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have like a table set up in the garage and I'm gonna get all yeah. these paints and stuff. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. But yeah. you're gonna have diorama set up and Yeah, I don't know like if the, I can get it into focus the because the more I move it forward, the less it wants to focus. Can I do this? Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, sorry guys. It's just my camera. You can see it because well. you you posted a picture on Twitter. Check his yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, You'll see it on Twitter. So Twitter handle right below me here um, on on uh, YouTube on, uh, but it's YouTube at channel. Jordan with a silent <laughs> ph in the middle. Um, so find us there, and you that. can see a photo of it. But um, it's not the best, but I'm proud of it because it's the first one I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. Anything else we need to talk about before we take off? No, it's going to be exciting. It's holiday weekend for some of us. I just, some of the Canadians said we had on our holiday weekend. Everybody have fun gaming. Uh, for those of you that are going to subscribe to the channel, keep doing that because I've been reaching out to those subscribers and we've been allowing them to sit in on our one shots. Agrippa was in a one shot. Indoor Gamer or Indoor Adventurer was in a one shot. We had Cyberwolf was in a one shot. So we're working through the list of people that are subscribing to the channel and uh, we're we're getting you guys into some of the games that we're running or playing or having fun with. So keep that up. Check out the YouTube channels, both uh, mine, Jordan's, and the new Saturday morning Dungeons and Dragons, which you can find when you search for it now. Yeah. Which is cool. And check and this us out video on Twitter. Will be up there on Monday. On Twitter. So yeah. anyway, thank That's you guys so for much us. for coming out. Uh, chat, you've been awesome today. So I want to say a special thank you to everybody in chat. Um, it's really great to have you guys here. It makes the show just, I think Lucian and I are silly enough that we would do this even if nobody was watching, but uh, we love the fact that you guys come out. So thank you guys so <laughs> much. And we will see you next Saturday for a very special stream of many eyes episode of uh, Saturday morning D and D show. So we'll Here's see you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.